2: Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog ArsCast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Thank you very much indeed, as always, for being here. How has your week been? I hope good, successful, no drama, no hassle. I did watch the Champions League semi-final the other night. Inter versus AC Milan. I don't think I've ever seen a more Europa League level Champions League semifinal in all of my life. It was not a good game of football. I don't suppose fans of Inter will give a shit because they are in the Champions League final where more than likely they are going to get absolutely obliterated by Manchester City who destroyed... Uh, Real Madrid 4-0 in midweek. And I wrote about this on the blog a little bit. Uh, You know, I just can't watch Manchester City. There's nothing exciting about watching Man City for me. Yes. Are they technically brilliant? Of course. Are they well-drilled? Yes. Does it bore the tits off me? Absolutely, fucking it does. And I didn't watch the game the other night because I I didn't think it was a foregone conclusion. But... I just had an idea they were going to turn over Real Madrid and having watched the two semi uh, semi-finals between the Italian clubs, it just doesn't feel likely that Inter are going to get anything other than a complete hiding in that game. And probably for the first time in my adult life, I'm not going to watch the Champions League final. It's not so much that I don't want to see Manchester City win. Of course, I'd like Inter to win it. But you go into it and you do that thing where you go, well, maybe, you know, football, anything can happen. You know, you never know, blah, 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 blah. And it'll be fine. And then Manchester City will score a couple of goals, uh, you know, within two or three minutes of each other, probably around the half hour mark. And then that will be that. There'll be just no chance and the whole thing will be a foregone conclusion. So I'm not inflicting that upon myself this time around, I don't think. City, of course, in the news as well this week. And it has been slightly interesting slightly that there are, I think now, more people putting some kind of context around Manchester City's dominance of the Premier League. Five uh, Premier League titles in the last six. And even though there have been title races, we were in one this year, and Liverpool have pushed Manchester City very close, of course, in seasons past, without Arsenal having by our standards, and certainly in the standards of of where we've been in the last number of years, an extraordinary season, and Liverpool building the best team that they have had in decades under a manager uh, who has uh, you know made them a, a superb outfit, you know over ninety points so many times. Lost the title by a single point here and there. Like without that Liverpool team, Manchester City would have just walked it, and without the the Arsenal team of this season, they would have just walked it. So I think more people are putting a bit of context around what they do and how they do it and how they've done it. And yes, they've hired the best manager in the world, and they've uh, you know a very smartly run football club. But they've done it with basically unlimited resources, huge wage bill, big transfer fees all the time. Do they do they make the world record fees all the time? No, but they still spend a lot of money and a lot of money on wages, and that's how they are, the team that they are, and that's why they're winning the things that they're winning. And this week, uh, story in The Times about how they are they are lo- uh, lodging legal challenges against the Premier League's 115 charges, disputing the legality of the investigation itself, and suggesting uh, that they want the, uh, the guy who's in charge of this investigation, a barrister called Murray Rosen, uh, removed... Because he is uh, an Arsenal fan. Um, And this is what they're going to do. This is what they are going to do. I would say they have a squad of lawyers, which is probably as deep and expensive as the squad of players that they have. And they will drag this out for as long as they can. They'll object to everything and just tear the fucking financial arse out of the Premier League and its lawyers, who I suppose would have expected this, but anyone I think hoping for any kind of quick resolution to this situation, maybe as a kind of Hail Mary miracle way where a points deduction or something might win us the title this season, I don't think... That's going to happen. Uh, but I do like the fact now that when people talk about, well, not everyone, but more people, when they talk about Manchester City and talk about how good they are as a football team, they're not ignoring the thing that we all know, the thing that makes any success they have, like I'm just completely indifferent to it. They leave me cold as a football team and. While it will undoubtedly hurt to see them crowned champions, given the season that we had, it's much more about our missed opportunity than it is them. And, you know, they'll win it. The blue streamers will go off. Pep will be interviewed on TV. He'll cry a bit because he's fucking weird. And I'll turn the telly off and I'll go in the back garden and have a beer and maybe barbecue a steak or a burger or something like that. And uh, I won't give them a second thought and I'll think about us and I'll think about how we can improve and hopefully do better next season. So there we go. There we go. Right. A little later on, we're going to be talking to Dan Morgan, who is a contributor with the Anfield Rap, but he's here to talk about Mental Health Awareness Week. And we will give you the winners of our competition from last week, where we had Bakayo Saka t-shirts to give away from our friends at a store like 94. So stick around for that. Right now, though, it is my pleasure to welcome back to the Cast, Amy Lawrence. Hi, Amy.
3: Hey, Andrew, how are you doing?
2: I'm all right. How are you doing? How have you processed the last few days?
3: Um, Okay, I think. I don't know why. Maybe it's just age. Um <laughs> <laughs> But, and maybe it's, just, I guess that we kind of felt it coming. It wasn't like being mugged and having no idea, because you've got your earphones in, and you're mm. walking down the street, kind of jogging along to your music, feeling good. And someone, Wah! you know, it it wasn't that kind of, uh, feeling. And, I, I, and in the end, I, I kind of had this sensation during the Brighton game that once, once it had gone, and in fact, arguably just slightly prior to the Brighton game with the Man City kind of extinguishing, crushing, monster, bastard, horrible, <laughs> take your hopes and stick it performance, um, yeah, I think I think that had an impact on everyone in Planet Arsenal, and that probably includes the players. Um, there was that sense of probably that game needed to give something in in order for the kind of miracle to stay on. So once the miracle was feeling slender, sure. I don't know. I, it was kind of being put out of your misery, maybe. I don't know. The, it's, yeah. It was obviously very, very sad and disheartening. But the fact that you kind of had this gnawing feeling that it was maybe inevitable sooner or later. Sure. And actually, the fact that, that, that the last game against Wolves allows everyone to have a proper celebration of this season and celebration of this team and this club and what everybody's experienced... Uh, along the way I think we'll, I think what we'll, the emotions will be very very different after that game I think there'll be a lot of positivity and recognition that this has been a hell of a ride
2: sure I mean it, it, it's sort of been about adjusting expectations all the way mm. through hasn't it because the start of the season if you'd said We're, we'll finish second we'll push Manchester City quite far all the way to sort of late April early May you'd say well that sounds like it could be fun but then when you're in it you're adjusting again and you're adjusting upwards because you're in a position yeah. where you think, Ooh, maybe something can, uh, can happen here. And then you have to readjust downwards again. So it's sort of been a, a little bit up and down in, in that sense. Um, you know, you, you can only deal with what's happening in, in front of you. And, you know, we're a few days out from the Brighton game now, but I am still struck by Mikel Arteta afterwards. And his demeanor and how that result or performance or both of those things affected him after the game because we've lost games before we've lost games Mm -hmm. badly before we've lost important games before and I think like you like me like many of the people listening to this we will have been probably realistic about the chances of that miracle happening and all the rest of it. So, you know, I'm I'm sure Mikel Arteta was you know aware that it was a long shot, even if we'd beaten Brighton to to win the title. So I'm I'm curious as to why you think or what it was about that day that really seemed to to sort of sucker punch him. If we were all kind of expecting it, he it felt like This really had a big impact on him.
3: Mm, I mean, I definitely felt sort of sitting watching him when he came out to meet the media afterwards that he looked kind of almost hollowed out, Mm. like a slight shell of his normal self and noticeably lower than other times, noticeably more deflated or dejected. He's very good at managing those situations now and coming out with a kind of degree of, assurance whatever the result he's he's become very good at that and um maybe because of the kind of like the reality hitting in not just that it was the end of the you know the hopes for a miracle but also i think it was compounded by the fact that in Mikel arteta land this is not the way you go down mm. um and i think trying to broaden it out slightly in the life and, of a manager, in the evolution of a, of a young manager, there are sometimes moments or games or things that happen that become very educational. Not at the time, but you can look back at them as pivotal to the way that they regard certain things or the changes that they go on to make. And I do believe that Mikel will look back on this as a real point of learning. What he learns about himself, his team, the whole shebang. It reminds me of, say, God, going back a long time. George Graham and and, and Benfica in the first Champions League or mm. uh, Europe European Cup, Cup yeah. um, adventure uh, back in 91. First time back in Europe after many years with English teams band, It was a big team. and and Arsenal gone down, got a great result away from home in Benfica and came back to Highbury with an away goal thinking here we go and got absolutely tactically outmaneuvered in a in a way that I think humiliated George Graham and he went off from that and big you know studied and became a sort of um a strategist for European football he made that a mission of his mm. which resulted in Arsenal having the rare experience of winning a european trophy in the cup and cup winning cup in 94
2: um it also had an impact on Arsenal as a title-challenging team, though, as well, perhaps?
3: Maybe. Uh, uh, but, I mean, it was a specific thing of in mm. his learning. And I think that you can think of Arsenal and you can think of maybe that game against Blackburn where Arsenal got beat 3-1 and uh, there was all sorts of things that weren't quite right. And the, I think the team, particularly Tony Adams and the way they handled it, they kind of had that experience to tr- want to correct it. And Arsenal learned a lot about the Premier League, about himself, about the club, about the players from that. But there are sometimes these games that, you know, they have a value that's beyond that 90 minutes. And, but there's something about Mikel, it reminded me, just in being so uncharacteristically bitten by this one. Again, going back to Arsenal, I remember a European game in Valencia when Arsenal went out a Champions League that they probably should have won. Was, John, in was that John Carew? Maybe.
2: Was it that mm-hmm. one? Mm.
3: And I remember seeing Arsene walking into the press area afterwards. And he was a lot younger here, so the word doesn't have the same impact as what it would go. To, but he looked grey. That was the word that was in my mind. He looked... And he, he didn't have grey hair then, by the way. Sure. <laughs> but his face even, his skin he looked absolutely like the blood had drained out of him. That defeat just had a huge impression. And something about this makes me feel that in future times, we might look back and think Mikel took something from this that he will use in future.
2: There were some comments after the game about You know, how if the team can show this face, that's something we have to address. And, you know, I spoke to James about this on on Monday, but, you know, he has been incredibly supportive of the players, even in bad times. And this is maybe one of the only times that we've seen or heard Mikel Arteta maybe throw a bit of uh, a shot across the bows of, of his squad. Um do you think that might be or might inform the reaction that we get from him this summer when you're talking about this being a learning moment a a moment of education a moment of maybe copper fastening some thoughts he already had some doubts he might have had that this was the moment where it was switched on completely in his brain about what he needs to do, how he needs to do it. And and I don't wanna say who pays the price, but Mm -hmm. but who might be expendable in terms of this squad and how we rebuild.
1: And it
3: it, it felt a bit like that with some of his comments, they did feel quite loaded Mm. in that way. But it's hard to say because without that kind of insider knowledge, on exactly when they make their plans and how often they tweak them. Uh, I think we'd be naive to think that a lot of the planning for recruitment and sales has not been um, mapped out quite a bit before now. Yeah. Uh, There's often, I think, variations on you have a kind of different outcome (laughs) of what you might do. Um, So there's the kind of winning the league outcome or the Champions League outcome or the Europa outcome or the conference outcome or for certain clubs out there, who, you know, we might wish to mention maybe no Europe at all next year. Mm. Um, and, I, and I'm pretty sure that Arsenal will have had a, a, a pretty extensive idea about the significant ins and outs, where money can be generated, how much needs to be generated and where they want to put it. So it it might be that certain players or certain approaches uh, get analysed. But I'd like to think that maybe along with it all, I think Mikel will also look at himself and be self-critical. And I don't mean about the Brighton game. I mean about the season.
2: I agree, yeah. Uh,
3: And there is still room, despite this having been an overwhelmingly impressive season with a very good outcome. And second place is a fantastic outcome for this team and where it started. But I'd like to think there are a few big questions that he thinks about to do with things like squad rotation and how much do they rest and when and who can you know how and when do you do you affect that so that certain players who looked a bit tired and burnt out at this point of the season they didn't hit their peak. It was kind of they were more straining mm. to hit a stride um why is that can that be done differently uh, obviously the makeup of the squad to try and cover for you know unfortunate injuries and absences the balance wasn't quite right it was near but it wasn't quite right and um use of subs. And then the other one that kind of fascinates me is whether there's a temptation to look at a different profile of striker to have as an alternative to Gabriel Jesus or Eddie.
2: Yeah. I think that's really interesting because there is a very good case to be made for having somebody else with a different profile, physical profile, whatever it might be. But then it's how much of your game plan revolves around that because, you know, I think probably the main issue for Arsenal this season has been defensive, Mm
1: -hmm. that
2: in the absence of William Saliba um, and obviously Alexander Zinchenko in recent games, um, we haven't necessarily been able to cope. And and the goals we've conceded in the last number of weeks have been, um, you know, atypical compared to the first part of this season, right? Yeah. we've scored i don't know how many goals 83 goals something like that so it's it's a very impressive uh, return uh, across the board you're looking at players in double figures Jesus Odegaard Martinelli Saka all in double figures it's it's fantastic the desire to have something else up front i think is something that's shared by a lot of people and certainly i would be one of those as well to give us just a little bit of variety even mm-hmm. but finding the balance between integrating that player into our style of play if you want to call it that and and the effectiveness of our attacking play this season which for the most part has been really good is going to be a very interesting um facet of of how maybe he redevelops the team or or adds another uh way of playing onto this team because if you do have a different kind of striker i guess that player is going to play differently to Gabriel Jesus. Therefore, does it have a knock-on effect on the players around them? Um, you know, I think we're talking about something a little more sophisticated than you know, there's a big lad fucking stick it up top and let him do what he does with his head. You know that you know what I'm saying though?
1: Mm-hmm.
3: I do. Mm. Uh, but I think that there it's something worth exploring and thinking sure. about. Sure. I mean, there have been times uh, in recent weeks where you know, Arsenal have gone a bit more direct. And I think that Brian game kind of was probably the most painful example of like hooking a few long balls in the direction of Gabriel Jesus and Lewis Dunks just there going, Hiya, mm-hmm. <laughs> thanks. Um, and you understand the need for the variety to try and answer different tactical questions. And we're going to have loads of different tactical questions posed in Champions League, by the way. Sure. So it's just that question of. Um, what Arsenal want to be, is it going to be stringent that you play it's our way or the highway, or is there some variety in there and options in there? And I think, yeah, there's you adapt, but good players adapt. And you only need to look at the state funded beer moth uh with a few more points that uh that shows you that it is it might might be a bit kind of strange along the way, but there's definitely Potential to still be playing fantastic, effective football with goals shared around, mm. and and have a, a, a different kind of centre forward to to be a focal point if needed.
2: I'm really interesting uh, interested in the the squad depth discussion because you know i 'm sure I said on the podcast and i 've written on the blog about like over the course of this title challenge, you know as we get into the business end of it, we are going to need the full depth of our squad i 'm sure I wrote that more than once and and maybe that 's still true, but I was looking up some minutes of of players who have sort of operated on the fringes of the first team, and again, I think. Our problems have been defensive when you lose Saliba and it's compounded by the the injury to Tommy Asu, who I think would have given us a a bit more security across the back line. I think that's a huge aspect of of why things didn't go quite as well. But you're looking at...
3: What, you're saying it's not tooting horns from players yeah funnily enough winners. are
2: you joking funnily enough I think it's due <laughs> it's due to other reasons than players being no, excited no. about winning football games <laughs> in the last minute I know that's crazy it's never going to get me a job on Sky Sports but hey I'm comfortable with my lot right here you talked about players maybe looking a little tired but Kai Osaka could be one of those in the last little while Gabrielle Martinelli you know came off injured Leo Trossard hasn't looked quite as effective and I looked at the minutes that players who were available to play, um, how much they actually played. Fabio Vieira started the Bournemouth game. He played seventy-nine minutes of the next nine hundred minutes available to him. Eddie and ketty have forty-five minutes of the last five hundred and forty minutes available to him. I'm, uh, my benchmark there was when he came back from the injury mm-hmm. that that he sustained. Mm-hmm. Emil Smith Rowe made his return in the North London Derby, came on just right at the end, then picked up another little injury, but since then has been pretty much available all the way through. He has played 99 minutes of the last 1,260 available to him. So these are players, I suppose, when we thought about the squad on paper before this season, they can play a role. They can play an important role. They can, you know, come in during games. They can start certain games. You know, we are going to need the full depth of our squad. But these guys, over the last six, eight weeks, and more in the case of Smith Rowe, have not been trusted. And Mikel Arteta's circle of trust, I think, is evident in his team selection. So it's going to be about, um, I guess, assessing a what those players or what he thinks those players might bring next season, but also expanding that to make sure that he does have players who he feels comfortable using at key moments in key games against big opposition, small opposition, medium opposition, because you know, you can't go through a season the way we've gone through a season and not expect for it to have some kind of impact. You know, when you get right to the business end, legs get heavy.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be so fascinating to see how much business is done this mm. summer, you know. Um, when Mikel Arteta sits down with a blank piece of paper, what what is his wish list of a squad? Mm. It'll be fascinating to know, you know. Like, you know, unless you're one of those mega clubs that, you know, exist on slightly different planets... Most people have to compromise a little bit when they're creating their squad. You know, in fact, most managers will find it's a lot worse than that. Given that, you know, the average lifespan of a manager in in this country is, you know, just around about a year anyway. Mm. The inevitability of the job is that most people will come in and find, a bit like Mikel did when he arrived, a bit of a mixed up, jumbled, uh, you know, a mishmash of a squad with some fabulous uh, people that you want some that are tolerable and some that you could really do without <laughs> um, and and actually uh, Arsenal have done an incredible job in the last couple of windows to remodel that squad into something that's far more ideal than, mm. than I think is available at most clubs Um not perfect but uh, most of the squad analysis this is as you said you know look down and you saw good options across most of the uh positions on the pitch but uh, when i was walking um uh outside the game uh, against brighton there was a couple of lads i think this was before the game actually they were just kind of leaning casually on the wall um just chewing the fat before going in and they were talking about this kind of stuff i only got a snippet of their conversation And this bloke turned around to his mate and said, We need to buy starters. "Mm, mm," You know, he's like, We've done the bit with this, you know, Mm. sorting out the squad generally. We need to buy starters. I thought it was quite an interesting comment. As I think, I I, I suspect that there'll be a bit of both. I think that there will be starters, and I think that there will be uh, upgrades on the squad level as well and then there will be a few that are like filling those spaces because it's going to be impossible to get the perfect squad at this moment in time but it can certainly be renovated and improved
2: I mean do you think what we've done this season might accelerate some of the plans that would have been in place because you know recruitment isn't like oh well i'll wake up today and see who i want to buy these are you know high level conversations that the manager will have with the technical director and you know the recruitment people and all of those kinds of things like how do we build incrementally you know what can we do in this window what can we afford to do in this window what's the priority all those kinds of things but the fact that arsenal you know did come close to uh, winning the Premier League this season. We, we've we fallen away right at the end, but we came close. You know, I think it's it's fair to say that. And you wrote um, this week in The Athletic, you said, to push on from this requires owners, KSE, to back Arteta even more. And, I, you know, maybe I'm wrong, but I got the sense that after what we did last season, having uh, come close to the top four, there was a, an element of, okay, yeah, we are we are definitely on the right track here. We're going to get right behind this manager and we're going to give him the resources he needs. And he did get plenty of resources and we did mm. sp- spend plenty of money. But uh, And I think the gap between ourselves and Manchester City, even if it's not evident in the, the games that we played against them this season, well, certainly not the second game. The first game, mm. uh, I think the scoreline was maybe a little uh, unfair, but you know do you do you say okay well look we're we're closer than we thought we were going to be is there room to to push a little harder in this window than we might have done are there decisions that might be made that maybe we're thinking we could push down the line a little bit and um you know does does the way this season uh, has gone have an impact on what we do this summer
3: I think they were going to back him pretty hard anyway. Mm. I'm not sure how much the dial has moved because of kind of accelerated progress. Because uh, they've shown um recently that they'll give him more or less what he asks for. Uh Obviously, mm. within reason, you know, it's not like Mikel's turning around saying, bring me Kylian Mbappe, but sure. it would be nice. But um <laughs> I don't think he's had a lot of disappointment in going and asking for things and getting rejected. I think they've worked very hard to make sure that he gets the majority of what he feels is needed. Uh, I think the biggest difference this summer, though, is simply for the first time in a while, it looks like Arsenal are able to generate quite good income. So if there is a bigger pot, Mm. I think some of that will be self-generated, and I think it's... the the cleverness of the decisions they make in who goes, you know, some of the outgoings, there won't be necessarily a massive amount coming because they're just still some of the relics from uh, the past that they haven't quite cleaned up the squad as perfectly as possible. But there are some that'll be pure business decisions where they're good players with a good value and Arsenal will use that and say, We'll have that money, and we'll try and get a better player with better value.
2: Mm. I mean, do you think that's kind of what's going on with these Granite Shaka reports? Um, you know, linked with. I
3: think that's a slightly different situation. Right. I think that Granite's scenario is a more personal one um, because of his service to the club, uh, because he's well regarded for the you know what he's given. But because they don't want to be tied in to Granite for another four years, Mm. it leaves them in that kind of, this is exactly the point at which you make a a business versus emotional versus football decision. So Granite has one year to go with a plus one option. Mm. Understandably, at the age of 30, that's the right time for granite to say, "Can I have a, you know,
2: yes, security, a, a more contract. secure yeah.
3: contract than that, please?" So Arsenal have either got to recommit for another three, stroke, four years, mm-hmm. or say this is the time we thank you, and you know we, we'll generate some funds and not let someone run down their contract and walk away yeah. for nothing any you know a year's time or whatever.
2: Isn't that sort of what we wanted the club to do for a long yeah. time, though? And, and yeah. part of, I remember when, when the Xhaka contract uh, uh, extension was announced, yeah. there was a measure, I think, of angst uh, among um, sections it, well. of the fan base where, you know, and I, I get it, you know, um, he's had an up and down time at Arsenal and, and it does look as if, if he does go uh, this summer, it's going to go on, uh, you know, uh, an up much more than a down because of the performances and the way that he has become important to the team. But but that, that sort of strategic thinking in terms of how you secure a player's contract at that age. So he's not getting to 30 or 31 and he's got a year left and he says, well, I'll just stay here and run it out and get a Bosman. Um, maybe that's part and parcel of how we are trying to uh, improve the way that we sell. And that is going to be you know, I, I think people have quite a a deal of confidence in what we can do when it comes to incomings and recruitment, and the kind of players that we can attract, and the mm-hmm. kind of players that we want to bring in, and our capability of bringing those players in. I think most people will be will be pretty relaxed about that aspect of of this summer. I suspect that there are going to be a lot of eyes on the other side of it, the outgoings and how we sell and where we sell and how much money we bring in and all those kinds of things because there's a there's a real mix of potential departures aren't there from someone like Charlie Patino who wants to go and Flo Balagoon, maybe who wants to go like these are young players what kind of contracts do you put in place? What kind of sell-on clauses um, do you get that might benefit the club down the line, even if it pains you to sell these players or it's a little bit disappointing to see young players go? You've got Tierney, a very established player, someone like Rob Holding, uh, Granit Xhaka, who's into sort of the September of his career, if you like, maybe Thomas Partey too, I don't know. But, you know, these guys who may well go out, it's going to require... Quite a, uh, a, a range of of negotiations, if you like, with with potential selling clubs.
3: Yeah, that's why I'd expect um, all the uh, recruitment guys to be pretty busy pretty soon <laughs> for the stretch. Because uh, you know, uh, the days are gone when you could a- arrange a transfer in a week. You know, they tend to be much much more drawn drawn out nowadays. Mm. So, and there is quite a significant amount of business to do, and of course, you can't do all the business you want at the time that you want it, anyway. Because you know, in an ideal world, season finishes, and hey, three days later, Arsenal announced Declan Rice. You know, but mm. we all know that uh, it's probably going to be uh, a lot more um, painful than that, and a lot more <laughs> long-winded, and twists and turns, and y- you know, horrible things to thrash out, and uh, and and other clubs that are going to make it difficult. So, yeah, if, if, it was, if it was as simple as as uh, Arsenal ringing up Declan Rice and saying, would you like to come and him saying yes, we'd all be uh, laughing. But mm. unfortunately, there are too many other parties that have different agendas that make all this stuff super complicated, no matter how much a club wants a player or a player wants that move. Mm. Um, but, yeah, there is. Subst- I think there's going to be substantial ins and outs, and I think it will be quite a movable feast. So they may have, I, I, I suppose, a bit like the Madrid uh tross our situation you have a first choice second choice there's going to be mm. so much kind of juggling around it'd be like a complicated puzzle of if this one goes and that much money comes in from that then this guy can come and then that one is you know they have obviously got a budget to work within sure um and it's about maximizing how they get to spend that budget what's needed to prop up that budget from sales and keeping a balanced squad at the end of it, of the best players that you can out of that situation. And I bet what they might have on paper right now, as this would be ideal, that X gets sold for 30 million and this one comes in for 80 million, and Mm. what they end up with at the end of the transfer window could look astonishingly different. But as long as they are flexible enough and the people that are, are going on the ins and outs give you an end result with an improved... Mm. balanced squad. And I uh, the great news is that everybody out there trusts Arsenal to do a good job on that. And we don't have to go back very far in history to be absolutely petrified about what people involved in the club's dealings were going to do.
2: Sure. I, I mean I do think I uh, I'm 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 really interested to see how well we sell because I think that has been a, an issue and I understand the reasons why it's been an issue, but it will be very Do
3: you you think it's a status thing as well, Andrew? Do you think the way that Arsenal sell has anything to do with their status in terms of everybody knew that Arsenal were crappy sellers for quite a long time and were able to take advantage? Do you think that it's important to the club that they kind of put their chest out and, and, uh, 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 you know, suddenly are a bit of a player walking into the casino? Uh, uh,
2: Yeah, Yeah. I mean... uh...
3: Like I them said, them yeah,
2: I can understand the reasons why it's difficult to sell some of the players that we've tried to sell over the years. Yeah. And and sure. look, I appreciate openness and transparency from people at the club who, you know, we don't always hear a great deal from. You know, but I remember Edu talking about uh, some quotes about, well, well, you've got a guy like this, he's playing in London, he's on this guy, it's impossible to sell him. So, <laughs> you know, I don't know that that necessarily helped in that regard. But also and this is a conversation maybe we had about Liverpool a few times down the years is that you see them sell players who barely made the fringes of the Liverpool first team. And all of a sudden they're selling them to Bournemouth or somebody for 20 million pounds. You're going, how how are they doing that? But I think the fact that you are perceived as a, a really talented team, a really talented squad has an impact on how people view the players that you might want to sell. So, okay, maybe you're not quite good enough for this Arsenal team but you're more than capable of doing a good job at Premier League level for a team somewhere down the league and I think that's kind of the area that we are getting into now with these players you know some of the guys that, that I talked about at the start like Emile Smith-Rowe it might it's going to pain me if Emile Smith-Rowe goes this summer because um, he, you know it really will because of just you know where he's come from and what he's uh symbolized and sign uh yeah, signified is that a word it is yeah I
3: just love you know, watching him play. Same. I just love the way he plays. It's just warms same. my heart. It's something bouncy and it's swaggering. M- m- and mercenesque, kind of... right. Oh, I know. It, you it know? Is mercen-esque, so, it? For the same reasons we loved watching him. I've loved watching him.
2: But him. that but that's uh, this is what I'm talking about where I think if if it's decided internally, I'm not saying it is or it isn't or anything like that. I have some worries, obviously, like most people, because of how little he's played. But if it's decided internally that that you know he can go, the fact is there are going to be a lot of Premier League clubs who will say, "Yeah, we'll have a bit of that, and we'll pay good money for that." You yeah, know what I, mean? I think
3: it's going to be particularly those three players, Patino, Balogun, and Emil. If any of them do end up going, it's going to be very instructive to see what kind of prices. Mm. Are, are, are generated
2: a couple of quick things before we go one is contracts and um there are things in the works we understand with key players they've tied down Gabriel martinelli they've tied down gabrielle um it feels like at the time of recording nothing's been announced but you know uh, Bakayo Saka. Aaron Ramsdale, the stories about Martin Odegaard getting a new deal, I assume that they will do something similar for Ben White, given he arrived at the same time as Ramsdale and has had the same kind of trajectory. Uh, that is another layer to what needs to happen this summer yeah, as well, one isn't it? there's name you didn't mention, isn't there? there is a name I didn't mention. And I, you know,
3: I think that's it's a fascinating that all the other names you did mention, there's a real confidence that that's, that that those deals will happen. That's the one that I'm,
2: that's the one that I have (laughs) the most The unmentionable one is, 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 well, yeah. Saliba, obviously. Yeah. I mean, he's a guy who looks very happy at the club.
3: I think he is.
2: You know, and I think he is happy at the club. Um, but again, he's in a very, very strong position given the length of time left on his deal, and and that just is naturally a complication when it comes to a contract renewal. But you know, this is an, if they're going to be busy selling, if they're going to be busy buying, they're also going to have to be busy renewing.
3: Yeah, I think most of them will will, will be happening without a without a problem by this stage. But the Saliba one, I would kind of my hunch is that. One more good contract with Arsenal and then mm-hmm. see what else is out there probably is something that he could be persuaded, you know, mm. is a, makes great sense because his um, development since he's, and not since he's been at the club, but since he's been in the team, let's just say, um, it, it is phenomenal. And he obviously looks very, very comfortable uh, in the team, in the club he's loving life i think it would be a real pity but again if needs be i guess you know you're going to have you'd you'd have to take what would be an enormous amount of money for one year on the deal if if he's absolutely flat refusing to sign something else mm. but i think good news there is not implausible Fingers maybe crossed. not like the the major major things that they're working on first i was thinking the renewals are something that they kind of doing as they can mm. but surely the transfer market because it's so much more complicated is, is where there's going to be a lot of time
2: haggling. Final thing then and you know I don't think we've had a a particularly downbeat conversation but m- maybe a realistic conversation about what's happened I think it's been informed by you know the last few weeks and everything else but is maybe the most important thing to take from this season uh, from this season rather that feel-good factor, trying to replicate that on and off the pitch. And I know results and performances are what drive those things, but I think there are parallels between the end of this season and the end of last season. Uh, If you want to say that Arsenal ran out of legs a little bit, I think that's not unreasonable. But what we saw at the end of last season was some of that being addressed and further improvement this season. And again, if we've run out of legs a little bit, you know, it it did feel like we were able to take the positivity from last season into this season, even if the end of it was, was, you know, painful and a bit heartbreaking because we missed out on top four. Like, I know it's easy to say, just do it again, but I think that has got to be part of of how they approach is this idea that this is still something that is being built, something that's growing, something that's developing, a a team that's that's coming together and can improve. So in the cold light of day, as hard as it might be, with the disappointment of not getting over the, the finishing line in the way that we would have liked, it is really important to keep those positives to the forefront of what we're trying to do.
3: Oh my God, I've loved so much of this season. I mean, it's been so uplifting and inspiring and enjoyable for the vast majority of it. It's been it's been a laugh. Yeah. You
1: know. Yeah, yeah. It's
3: been um, it's been looking at it's been it's been looking at in someone's eyes in the ground and they're bloody popping out because something so brilliant's just happened. Has it changed or the hugging way strangers or you know? bouncing around singing songs and really bloody meaning it, you
2: know. Has it changed the way you, um not changed the way you look at football or the club or whatever, but it did feel like something. Uh, we've been around the block a couple of times, let's say that. But it felt like, childlike is the wrong word. It is. But-
3: Andrew, I, I felt like, feelings that I wasn't sure I was going to feel again about football. And I was was so thrilled to know that that wasn't gone Mm. because, you know, as the game becomes more and more kind of money orientated and, and glitzy and agents and all the stuff, you know, which makes it sort of feel a bit out of reach from that kind of, primal feeling in the pit of your stomach that you belong to something. You know, that's the best thing about football. You mm-hmm. choose your club and you, you know, it belongs to you and you belong to it. And if you lose that a little bit or it gets frayed, it's a, so it's a hard. And to have that, I think this season has been all about every single person who's been on the journey with the team is that they be, the club belongs to us and we belong to the club all over again and it's been a very powerful thing and i think it's fueled the team to have this uh ride where they got as far as they did and it's definitely ignited feelings in most of the supporters like jesus tickets have been like gold dust hasn't been like that since Highbury. Mm. um i've had people begging for tickets from you know i've not (laughs) heard of you know somebody's grandmother's neighbor's Nephew's, sure. you know, Niltman saying, "Oh, any chance you, you, if you hear of any spares," and people coming from all corners of the globe. People are, going, "Oh, you're coming over. Eh? Any chance of a, you know, desperate to see a game this season because everyone wants to touch this thing and feel it for themselves
2: to experience it." Yeah,
3: yeah, and it's been joyous. And I think if uh, if that's how I feel, I'll kind of look back on this season. I think in time you'll forget maybe some of the pain and the, the frustrations of the end. and maybe not, maybe that's naive, but I'm sure I feel like looking back and remembering some of those moments of euphoria and togetherness uh, and being back, you know, so sure. lovely and so important. I remember a season uh, when Arsenal didn't ever win anything in 1992, which was, I think, the first season of Ian Wright and they won quite a lot around that time before and after it was a rare season of nothing Mm. but second half of that season that absolute shit for herself a season like hung over from winning the league i think the year before and then the second half of the season they just went out and said sod this we're going to enjoy it (laughs) and we were smashing everybody remember singing to john barnes barnes he's got the hump when arsenal won four nil or whatever it was against liverpool Smashed Palace five one, smashed Sheffield Wednesday seven one. The goals were going in everywhere. The mm. and and I think the commentary on the last game of the season was something like, "Oh, the season had gone on another couple of weeks. Arsenal would have won it." And we were we were crashing, crashing up the table at a speed of knots. On this wave of positivity and mm. enjoyment, and it was so much fun. And uh, 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 but it's because they had such a woeful start. There was just too much ground to make up. Sure. I love that season and I look back on it with love and I'm pretty sure we're going to look back on this season with love as well.
2: I think that's true. I think it's true. There's been a a lot of it going around and it's been incredibly fun. Feel the love, guys. It's the only way. It's been fun to talk about it, to write about it, to be there at the games, to just, um, like you say, experience it as part of, I think you always know you're part of a community, but sometimes, you can be estranged from your neighbors mm. and uh i feel like this season is one where um people have come together in a really important and and kind of organic it sounds a bit wanky but you know what i mean it, it it's it's been natural it hasn't been forced and it's been it's been amazing um it
3: has been communal and i, I think i can think of a bunch of people who you know all been going for a very very long time but in lots and lots of seasons gone past we don't talk that much after games or before games and suddenly we're just messaging all the time mm. after every game you think of the amount of games where i've called you on the way home <laughs> from the game just for a quick a quick fucking rah, you know, hell. letting out a bit of stuff yeah we don't yeah. do that all the time but this season it's felt like necessary to share this yeah with others and,
2: uh, and that's a great thing. It sure is. In seasons past, it was like a call for like, oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> what the fuck was that? And this year it's been fucking hell. That was brilliant. So let's hope we have a bit more of that next season as Bring well. Amy, as ever. Thank you very much. Cheers, Andrew. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance?
0: Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible,
2: budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com.
0: Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.
2: Thank you very much indeed. It's always a pleasure to talk to Amy, and you can find her on Twitter at Amy Lawrence. 71 at Amy Lawrence 71 and she writes about Arsenal and stuff for the athletic now it is mental health awareness week in the UK and I just wanted to give you a little bit of a heads up with regards to the next segment I'm going to be talking to Dan Morgan who is a contributor to the Anfield rap our good friends up there in Liverpool but also somebody who works for an organization called James's Place who try and help men who are having uh, suicidal crises so for some people, this might be very useful. For some people, it might be something they don't want to listen to. So this segment is about 10 or 11 minutes long. You can fast forward beyond it if you feel like it, after which I'll give you the winners of the competition, uh, the, the Bakaio Saka t-shirt competition. However, when it comes to uh, something like this, mental health and suicide, talking and communicating goes a long way. So Dan is going to fill us in a little bit. Dan, welcome to the show.
4: Uh, thanks for having me, Andrew.
2: We were just talking uh, before we started recording, you know, your experiences of competing with Manchester City for a title and being, as you said, chased or chased down by by that particular team. Uh, it, it is a challenge. Yeah. You've been there, done that and worn that T-shirt.
4: Yeah, it's not fun. I mean, I think there's, there's a lot of Liverpool supporters who feel like this season's drop-off is because of how much those seasons took out of us mentally and physically, and, mm. you know yeah they, they they just have this knack of of sort of going I, I remember the i think it was the 18 19 season the season before we won the league and we dropped points in the february and the march we'd, we'd drawn a couple of games reasonable games that you should be able to draw old trafford um goodison park mm. games that are derbies so you you know you are happy to take a point in and newcastle i think lost to rafa Ben uh, city lost to rafa benitez newcastle um, in the February, and they didn't drop another point after that, and that was the season when company done the uh, the, the Leicester goal, sure. the screamer that one, and it was just, it's a horrible feeling, and and I do, you know, I do, I can definitely resonate with what Arsenal are going through at the moment, but I think he'll undoubtedly come out of this stronger than ever. I think.
2: Yeah, I mean, what was what was the re- the reaction like? You know, from from a fan's perspective, where you come close and it doesn't happen. And you know you've got a team that isn't quite peaking yet, or or still got a lot, uh, you know, in terms of how it can progress and develop and things like that. Does that give you, you know, a bit of confidence going into the new season?
4: So what's what's really interesting about Liverpool? And if if I just mention there eighteen nineteen nineteen twenty when Liverpool win the league and pre COVID coming in in mm. the March, I think it is Liverpool win twenty six out of the first twenty seven and draw the other one. And and that's because ultimately they basically think to themselves, we have to win every game here. Yeah. If we're going to be able to do this, we're going to have to win every game. And I think you know, for them to get to that level of points before the pandemic came in, just showed how relentless they were. It just showed how much City, you know, had played a part in their in their psyche of of what it takes to win a football league while Pep Guardiola and. And Manchester City are knocking about, and and I think that's ultimately what it does to you. You know, you have to sort of strive for perfection because there's no other way. Yeah, you know, you know you know now you know from your own experience now that you can't you know you can't drop points to West Ham away. Yeah, in April it just can't be done. No. It can't be done. And and that and 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 again it goes back to the thing of margin for error, and there should be margin for error allowed. But I think. If Arteta and Arsenal will have learnt anything from this season, it will be that that they should have to start every season like a train and then find some way to try and maintain it. mm um, because that's, it's the only way Yeah, it, it is the only way, unfortunately. Yeah.
2: You look at what they're doing and it's, it's very familiar. It was, I think the fear that most of us had was that you just get chased and chased and they'll just win and win and win and win. And, uh, yeah. unfortunately that's turned out to be uh, the case, but look, we can commiserate with each other here. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me a little bit about uh, James's place and, and what it is and what it does.
4: Yeah. James place essentially exists, uh, to save the lives of men. Um, We offer a free in-person talking therapy service in both Liverpool and London. Um, And I guess where we're different um, or where we are niche, if you like, is that our services for men who are actively in a suicidal crisis. Uh, And what that means is men who have encountered some form of psychosocial crisis. It's often men who've never been um, diagnosed with any kind of mental health issue or men who have have ever felt that their, their, their mental health has been affected in any way but they've encountered you know some form of life crisis albeit a relationship breakdown albeit you know a money issue job loss um, and very quickly spiraled and um, we work with those men over a very short period of time usually around two months um, and we get to the root of the problem with them quickly we offer them as I said, some some stability, some uh, some reliability, I think, um, and some routine. Uh, we give them, you know, a really calm, warm, and friendly environment that they can come into and feel safe in. And and yeah, it's it's a service which, you know, we want to we want to get out to as many men and as many environments like football as possible because what we what we will always say is it's it's your everyday man who comes to James's place you know it's mm. it's the person who goes to football on the saturday and and you know is with his mates and, and looks like he hasn't got a care in the world and then on the sunday morning you know he's he's making plans to end his life and and that unfortunately has happened quite a lot and we've seen that quite a lot and you know, we want to we tell those men that there is a place you can come here, which is free, it's immediate, we'll see you within 48 hours um, and we'll get to work on trying to get you out of that crisis and, and find you some hope for the future.
2: I mean, there is, these days, certainly more awareness of, of mental health and people's mental health as, as something that they have to deal with, but probably still a sense of stigma, particularly among men, about talking about things like that. So... You know, what what do you say to somebody who might be listening or who might know somebody who, you know, might be struggling? Like you say, it's difficult sometimes to identify those people. So maybe somebody who is wrestling with those thoughts themselves, it's not always easy or it isn't easy to come forward and and talk about it.
4: No, absolutely. I mean, look, there's often a misconception that if you ask somebody if they're feeling suicidal, you'll put the idea into their head. You know, we can't stress enough that that is a misconception. Mm-hmm. Um and, and and you know we often tell people that that is that is a mistruth and something that people assume and it's it's actually the opposite really you know the, the idea of giving somebody that space and opening up a space for them to maybe talk about how they've been feeling and maybe if they have had thoughts or ideas around ending their life actually creates a conversation that starts the process of then somebody getting help you know our, our clinical lead discusses and, and describes um, the men we see and the, the situation they find themselves in as, as often guys who who see suicide as a permanent solution to a temporary problem. And and it's that kind of, um, you know, every door around you closing, nobody to talk to, not really even sure what's, what's going on or why you're feeling this way um, situation that people can further dig down into and before you know it you know they they don't feel like they've got any other way the idea that i agree with you you know people are you know able to talk a lot more now about how they're feeling uh, the idea that you know we can come on here and have a chat about this yeah. in a in a space that is predominantly for football supporters i think is is undoubtedly healthy towards that because again you know it might just be that you know, two guys go to the next Arsenal game and say, oh, did you hear that that James Place segment on Ask blog? That was really good, wasn't it? You know, I've been worried about X or I've been worried about, you know, about our mate who, mm. you know, he has, we haven't seen him for a few weeks. And again, you know, that it's not just a sort of welfare issue. It's it's the idea that, you know, someone might actually from that conversation say to their friend or their loved one, well, actually, I've felt that way before. And, and you know, th- there's often a bravery element attached to men speaking up um but what we want to do is you know we we really want to normalize these conversations we want to normalize this word there's still a stigma around the word suicide that you can you know you can find in certain in certain pockets of of community and society and and again you know we we want to we want to get the message across that this can happen to anyone at any time and and it's it's not a weakness it's no it's no slight or or no perception of anybody and how they live their lives it's just something that we have to manage and sometimes that that, that gets away from us and, and can really spiral quickly
2: so how do people avail of this service how do they get in touch how do they make contact with you guys and what sort of process uh is in place when when people do uh, get in touch
4: so, so the center's in bunhill row which is just off old street near moorgate and near, uh, near old street station in between both of those um to make a referral to us uh, you you go to our website which is www.jamesplace.org.uk or one word james place um in the top right hand corner you'll see a button which says get support that's an online survey and it will guide you through, basically, because there's three ways in which a man can come to us. He can refer himself, which is really important. Um, he can be referred by a concerned third party, so like a friend or a family member or a caseworker. Um, or he can be referred by a professional. And that can be you know, a GP, a crisis worker, somebody like that. Um, but the, the survey will guide you through that. All we ask is that you give us as much information as possible once we receive a referral from somebody we aim to get that person provided we've got sufficient information they meet our criteria of being in an active crisis um we aim to get them in the center within 48 working hours in front of a therapist in a private therapy room you know talking and and looking at the issues and seeing whether we're able to offer that person some help um you know that that's that's a sort of standard um everyday referral process for us you know we've got we've got five trained and experienced therapists who are all employed by us at the center um they work with they can work with up to you know 6 to 10 men at any one time you know in a rolling caseload so you know we're a very fast service we're a very immediate service we're a very sort of crisis driven service but we have to be that um to to deal with the men we're dealing with you know we have to we have to be you know, dealing with those men who, who are feeling that way because that's that's the nature of what we do.
2: Sure. And just a, a final message to anybody out there, maybe who's listening to this or to one of the other segments that you've been doing on, on other football podcasts this week where, you know, maybe when you are in that kind of space that you can't see the wood for the trees, you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, you know, what would you say?
4: I mean, first things first, Talk to somebody, anybody um you know we we can't reiterate that enough that how much the concept of talking helps people um helps people open up a dialogue, helps people disclose how they're feeling, helps people down the line, get help, obviously, if somebody is feeling like they are actively wishing to end their life, you know present yourself to the nearest a and e is advice we will always give. There is also a 24-7 crisis text line, um, which if you text SHOUT uh, to 85258, someone will come back to you really quickly. Or you can also call Samaritans on 116123. They're the emergency emergency contacts, if you like. But, you know, if you are that person, like I said, you know, Finding somebody in your life and hopefully there is somebody there who you feel you can talk to would just create um, a sense that there is a support network around you. If you are somebody who has a concern about somebody um, who's maybe become a little bit isolated or more introvert or, you know, has suffered one of the, you know, the, the everyday life events that I've I've spoken about Um I'd say that you know, don't hesitate to have a conversation with them if if you feel like you can, you know, because mm. again, you you might be that person offering that olive branch to someone, and that might also start that process. So, you know, we we can't reiterate how much communicating really helps. And if James's place can be there to help at least one man from this or or any podcast we've been on this week, then you know we've we've done our job.
2: All right. Well, we will make sure we put a link to uh, James's Place in the podcast uh, show notes and also on the on the website, the post that you'll find on rsbog.com. Dan, keep up the great work and uh, thank you very much indeed for coming on.
4: Thank you so much for having me and uh, looking forward to a top of the table clash between the both Reds next season. Yeah,
2: let's have that. Thanks again. Thank you very much indeed to Dan. And as I said, you will find a link to James's Place in in the show notes, in your podcast app right now, or on the post, which contains this show over on arsblog.com. Now, I told you I would give you the winners of the Bacayo Saka t-shirt competition, with thanks to our friends at A Store Like 94, which is A Store Like 94.co.uk. The random number generator has done its thing. The black and gold Bacayo Saka t-shirts are going to go to Al Broadbent, And Clint Harvey. Well done to both of you. I'll be in touch. I'll get your details, and we'll get the T-shirts sent out to you. If you do feel like you want to buy one, there is a discount code, which you can use on the site. Still works. Going to work all week. The code is arsblog, So pretty easy to remember. T-shirt's very cool. Black and gold, Bakayo Saka, which on the back, I asked you, what did it say on the back? It said, North London is about to explode. Now, just as I've been recording and just as I'm finishing up, I noticed that Aaron Ramsdale has signed a new contract with the club, which is good news. He's been very, very good for us. I can think of at least three or four absolutely outstanding performances. Like every goalkeeper, he had a little bit of here and there, but that happens. And for the most part, I think he has been a really important piece of the the season that we have had. So extending his deal is, is excellent news. We will give this further discussion. Discussion in our Premier League preview podcast, which we will have for you over on Patreon tomorrow, Friday afternoon. Patreon.com forward slash Arsblog. We'll look ahead to our game against Nottingham Forest. We'll chat about the Ramsdale uh, contract and whatever crops up in Mikel Arteta's press conference tomorrow. So please do join us for that. It's patreon.com forward slash Arsblog. For now, we'll leave it there. Thank you very much, as always, for listening, for downloading, for subscribing, for sharing, for all the things that you do with this piece of audio. Thank you very much. Uh, we we really do appreciate it. We will catch you on the next one, folks. Until then, take it easy. Cheers. Bye-bye.
1: Now, I must tell the
5: courtroom that I have reviewed these charges, and I must say they are extremely serious. It is almost beyond belief that 115 charges could be made, and barely anybody says a word about it. It speaks to something that's fundamentally missing in our society. 100 And fifteen separate charges. It is, by any standards, extraordinary that one single individual has accumulated so many charges, making them by some distance the most egregiously wrong person on football Twitter ever, Mr. Neville. Do you have anything to say for yourself? I see. Well, I now find you in contempt of this court in much the same way as you've been found in contempt of basically everybody on Twitter this week. I hereby sentence you to life as Alexander Zinchenko's car horn.